0: Good morning to you. If we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg, one of the pastors. And this morning, it is uh, really my joy to continue with you in this journey of this sermon series that we're calling Unstuck. And the premise with this series is basically that all of us either are or will be stuck at some point. Stuck in some pattern of behavior, of thinking, of relational interaction, of even interacting with God, we find ourselves stuck. And we often get stuck because there is a disconnect between our emotionality and our spirituality. And our desire through this series is to reintegrate those two. To invite Jesus below the surface of our outward activity and kind of superficial change that happens in our lives and instead invite Jesus really into the core of our being, into our emotions and our emotional processes and to see how he will get us unstuck. So if you've missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to go back and hear those either on our YouTube channel or our podcast at PCTRNJ. But more than just listening, I would so encourage you to engage the content and more so the invitation to introspection, to feeling and naming your feelings and the invitation to bring Jesus into that with you. Sometimes to really learn We have to be taken out of our normal flow of life, the normal pattern of things, and really have things shaken up. I think it's the premise of many field trips. I think it was the premise of my sixth grade field trip that was called Outdoor Lab. It was actually this week-long field trip where we went further into the mountains in Colorado to learn all about the ways of life of the 1800s Colorado pioneers, And there was all these hands-on activities, learning what it was like to build log cabins and to do blacksmithing and make Johnny Cakes and do archery. But in the midst of it, the thing I remember most to this day was the bunk room. It was this open room with rows and rows of aluminum bunks. And of course, the first night I claimed a top bunk. And in the morning, I found myself on the floor, underneath the bottom bunk, still inside my sleeping bag. I have no idea how I got there, neither does anyone else, but what I really learned at Outdoor Lab is that I can basically sleep anywhere. I'm not sure that was the lesson I was supposed to walk away with, but here I am. Today, we're going to look at how God teaches us by taking us out of the normal flow, the normal plan, the normal expectations of life, takes us into things that are often uncomfortable so that we can learn one of the most important lessons of life. So we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 4. If you'd like, you can follow along on the screen. Let's listen for God's word as he speaks to us this morning. through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, what a gift it is to be gathered on this glorious day in your presence. What a gift your word is and what a gift that we have in your Holy Spirit residing with us and in us and moving around us. We invite you to use this time to speak deeply to us. Give us the grace to, to hear, to understand, and even more to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Paul has written this letter to the church in Philippi from prison in Ephesus. And in the section that we just read, Paul is expressing this incredible gratitude for the generous gift that the church in Philippi has sent him to support him. And as grateful as he is, Paul quickly then adds this little side note. Well, it's not really a side note. He's quick to let them know that he didn't really need their gift in the first place. It's like, wow, that's kind of a slap in the face, Paul. Uh-huh. But he's, he doesn't need their gift because he has learned a secret. He mentioned it a couple times. He says, I've learned the secret to be content whatever the circumstances. Content satisfied sense of having enough not striving or anxious or churning for more and f- more and more and paul's saying i'm good i'm content whether things are good or bad all of the circumstances i don't have the internal angst and compulsion to keep striving because of dissatisfaction contentment was really popular in paul's day there was actually a whole stream of philosophy called stoicism That The main goal of Stoicism was contentment, self-sufficiency, to be good in and of yourself no matter what else is going on. But it was hard to be self-sufficient, to be content when you were attached to things and to people. And so they sought to train themselves to achieve contentment. They train themselves to eliminate all desires and wants and to eliminate all emotions because that all stirs up dissatisfaction and discontentment. And contentment is still a huge desire today, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a a popular psychology buzzword. And I think it's because there is a longing in many of us in our day for contentment, for things to be different. There's a feeling of lack and a desire to overcome, to get out of whatever it is we're in, a desire for more. And there's this feeling there must be more. And among other things, advertising certainly is based on breeding discontent, isn't it? Getting us not just to buy a particular product, but to buy into the idea that we need something new, something different, something more in order to be satisfied, in order for life to work out. And we so easily can get stuck in this churn and desire for more and more and this lack, this lack and this feeling of discontent and dissatisfaction. We can be not satisfied with what we have, what we don't have. And in fact, we often want what someone else has. We want the material things that they've been blessed with, or we want the job that they have, or the influence, or the looks, or the talent, or the likes that they get on social media, whatever it is. And if we're honest, there are also many times where we say, you know what? I think I deserve it more than they do. Or at least I deserve better than this. Have you ever said that? And in the midst of all this discontent, there are so many supposed remedies. Like I, I did this you know, this week, and you can do it really easily. If you Google how to be content, there is article after article after article and video after video. And you can learn the 11 simple ways to be content or the nine ways to be content with what you have in life or the 12 easy ways to be content, the three ways to be content with your life, the 15 tips to find contentment, the seven ways to feel content with your life right now, and none of them agree. (laughs) But the theme that runs through all of them that is the same is that you can achieve contentment. You can acquire it. You can grab onto it through your effort. And Paul learned something very different than this, didn't he? The secret Paul learned was that I can do all this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, through Jesus Christ who gives him strength. And that's Philippians 4.13. And the truth is, that is, this is one of the verses in the Bible that is plucked out of context so often. It's one of our favorites because we love what it says, don't we? Man, I can do all things. I can do anything. There's no limits. Growing up, I had a picture hanging on my wall of a soccer ball with cleats and Philippians 4.13 on it. And the implication of the picture is obvious, right? I can be an incredible athlete through Christ who gives me strength. And of course, that's true. If he wanted to, he gave me different genes than that, but that's okay. Because what Paul was talking about was not anything in general. In context, Paul is talking about learning contentment of being content in all things, all situations, the good, the bad, the ugly, the painful, through Christ who gives him strength. He can be content in every circumstance. It doesn't matter. But he didn't achieve it on his own. But he did have to learn it, he says. So how did Paul learn this contentment? How did he learn to lean further into Christ The one who could give him strength to be content in all things. Well, the reality is he had to get out of the normal pattern and flow of life. He had to go to an outdoor lab of God's making. See, Paul was on these missionary journeys with a a noble and beautiful desire to plant churches, to spread the gospel. But all along the way, God was interrupting his plans and teaching him the lesson of being content in all circumstances. In, In 2 Corinthians... 11, Paul actually summarizes the things that he had to live through that he experienced that taught him this lesson of contentment. He says he was imprisoned He was flogged, exposed to death again and again, experienced 39 lashes across his back. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned with big rocks, three times shipwrecked, spent a night and a day floating in the open sea. He was constantly on the move, always under the danger from rivers, from bandits, from Jews, from Gentiles. He was in danger in the city, in the country, at sea, in danger from false brothers He had to learn that Jesus Christ was going to give him the strength to be content by actually going through some of the darkest circumstances we can imagine. And only then, having lived it and experienced it, did he learn the secret. I think the reality is the same is true for us. That we can be told to be content in all things, But like so many things, we can't learn this one by simply being told. We have to live it. We have to experience it. We too have to go through these seasons where God is teaching us. And these seasons are often what Peter Scazzaro, who's the author of the book that we've been reading along with the series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Peter Scazzaro calls these seasons the wall. Or in the language of John of the Cross from the 1500s, this is, where, this is the dark night of the soul. Because it's in the dark night that God teaches us contentment. Teaches us that Christ is the one who can give us the strength to be content even in the dark. And Scazero says, for most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. And I don't really love his image of the wall, just honestly. As we talked about this in our staff meeting, we actually felt like the visual image of a dark valley or even a vast dark tunnel was probably more helpful in thinking about this as a season and a period. But whatever it is, this season is one where God turns our life upside down. Some years back, we went on a family vacation to Bedford County, Pennsylvania. And we found this little off-the-beaten-track, family-owned little attraction called the Coral Caverns. And it's this cave that used to be part of this mine and this limestone quarry, and it's now owned by this family. And so you go into this cave, and what you find is there's eventually this huge wall. And this huge wall is of a fossilized coral reef right there in the middle of Pennsylvania. Who'd have thought? You got all these little sea creatures in the wall. I mean, it's really an amazing thing. And so we saw that, and then we kept going in, going down further in, and I don't exactly know how far it goes down, but it's kind of, it's really a show cave, meaning that you can walk, and there's guardrails, and there's lights on, and they've got names for the stalagmites and the stalactites, and, you know, it's really entertaining for the for the family, and we get down to the bottom, and they warn us, hey, we're going we're gonna to turn out all the lights, And so they count down, three, two, one, and the lights go out, and it is so dark. Have you ever been in total darkness? Where... You can't even see your hand in front of your own face. You certainly can't see anyone else around you. I mean, the reality is it is totally disorienting. You lose your sense of direction. You lose your sense of balance, even though you're not trying to go anywhere or walk anywhere. It's like this sensory overload through sensory deprivation. This is what the dark valley is like spiritually. Totally disorienting. Overwhelming. And at times even terrifying for us. It's in the dark night or the dark valley that Schizero says we question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers as the very foundation of our faith feels like it is on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he is going, how he is getting us there, or when this will be over but man, we want it to be over. (laughs) Because none of us likes to be scattered like this, to feel like we're all over the place, disoriented. But it's in that place that God teaches us the lesson, the secret of contentment. You may have heard of Mother Teresa. If not, Google her and spend, you know, the next 20 years reading about her life. But But she gave her life to working in the slums of India among those that no one else would work and care for people that no one else would care for. So self-sacrificial. And in 1979, she wrote a letter to a spiritual confidant in her life, the Reverend Michael Vanderpeet. And this letter became public in 2009 as a part of a book called Mother Teresa, Come Be My Light the private writings of the saint of Calcutta. And this letter, among many other letters, she writes about the Dark Valley. And in this letter, she said, Jesus has a very special love for you, she assured Vanderpeet. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great. That I look and do not see, listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I let Him, God, have a free hand. And this was exemplary of her experience for 50 years periods of intense darkness. Though giving her life away day in and day out, serving and loving people for the sake of Jesus, she lacked the sense of God's presence and assurance of his love for her. She experienced the darkest of valleys, and if she did, maybe we do as well. But what's the point? Why would God lead us into these seasons of darkness? Why would he let us linger there? The reality is it's because God wants to teach us. Teach us that there is more in life than what we are satisfied with typically because we are satisfied with dissatisfaction we are satisfied with continuing to move and pursue in the rat race of life, chasing after things that ultimately we think are gonna give us hope, meaning, significance, that we think are gonna add value, that we think are gonna finally get us to a place where we're satisfied with life as it is, but God is gracious to not let us continue to run after those things, but instead brings us into the dark to purge us from those attachments to lesser things, those things that will not satisfy, so that we can learn that we will not be content if we gain the whole world, but do not have Jesus Christ and him alone. And so God strips us. He strips us of the things that we put our hope in, our stock in, our value in, our worth in. So that we can detach from those things and more fully and completely give ourselves and attach to him. But we are so often satisfied to give ourselves to other things and to other people. But in the dark, in the, in the valley, we learn this contentment. Not in the things, not in the people. Not even in our spiritual experiences or our feelings. Not even God's, the experience of God's love for us. But we learn contentment in Christ alone. See, the dark purges our sense of control, our sense of power, our demand for life the way we want it, in the time and on the terms that we want it, and the things that we think will ultimately make life worth living. This was the experience that the psalmist was writing in in Psalm 22 that we read earlier. This gives, in that psalm, is giving expression to the experience of the dark valley. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cry out, I have anguish. I cry out day in and day out, but there's no answer. That's what it's like in the dark sometimes. What do we do if you find yourself there? I think the first thing is simply to acknowledge it. As we've been trying through these weeks, to just begin to acknowledge what the feeling and experience is like. But then don't just stay there. Remind ourselves of the truth. Because in the dark, it is so hard to remember what's true. It's so disorienting. In the dark, we're not sure. So we have to remind ourselves of what we have known to be true. When my dad was a teenager, he took a trip with a friend of his, deep into Canada. They jumped on this train and it dropped them off truly in the middle of nowhere because they were going to go kayaking down this river that had not been successfully traversed for five years and that was about to be closed down because it was too dangerous and they were going to put a dam on it. They didn't know all that until after they survived the trip. (laughs) But as they're navigating along this river, of course, they're using compasses and they're using maps, but they started to realize something was strange. Because there were times where their compass would take a sudden left turn or a sudden right turn. There was something causing this magnetic deflection. And they weren't exactly sure what was going on. And if they were only really relying in that moment on their experience in that moment and the compass that they were holding in their hand, they might head off this direction thinking north is this way when north is that way. And continue to be lost in their disorientation. See, if we rely on the moment, just what we're feeling and experiencing, we can continue off into the wilderness in our disorientation. Instead, they had to rely on what they knew to be true. They had studied the maps. They knew where they had come from. They knew roughly where they were going to, and they had to continue to come back to what was true rather than trust what they were feeling and seeing with their eyes in the moment. In the dark, do not trust your feelings. They will betray you we have to hold on to what is true. This is what the psalmist does as he moves into verses three and four, reminds himself of what's true. Yet you are the holy one. You're, in, you're enthroned. And our, our fathers put their trust in you. They trusted you and you delivered them. They cried out to you and you saved them. They trusted you and you did not disappoint. God, I'm feeling disappointed. I'm feeling disoriented. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling like you've forsaken me. But what is actually true? You are trustworthy. But how can we be sure when the feeling is so strong and the reality of the pain and the hurt and the, and the disorientation in the darkness is so real? I think we cling to the truth that ultimately Psalm 22 points us to. Because it's the ultimate evidence that God is for us. Because Psalm 22 is what Jesus quoted even as he died on the cross for you. It was what he quoted as he gave his life for you as the evidence that God is for you. The evidence that God loves you. The evidence that God wants for you more than what you and I will settle for ourselves. Jesus on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, we feel forsaken in the dark valley. Jesus was forsaken on the cross. We feel abandoned in the darkness. But what is true is that God is teaching us the secret of contentment that is not in any circumstance, but is in clinging to Jesus who loves you so much more than you can imagine to remind ourselves, even in the darkest valley, that Jesus was forsaken for you. And perhaps, in that valley, we can begin to let go of the control that we are constantly grasping for in life, the, the control that God is trying to say to us, you are never going to be content if you have to be the one in control. I love the Harry Potter series, and, and in the movie, the books and movie are a little different, but in the movie, the first one, the Sorcerer's Stone, toward the end, Harry, Ron, and Hermione jump through this trap door uh, after almost getting eaten by a three-headed dog and they jump in and they fall maybe 20 feet or so into the darkness and fortunately they land softly much to their surprise And, and Ron starts to feel around and says wow well lucky this plant thing was here and as soon as he said it, the tentacles and vines of this plant begin to wrap themselves around their legs and their arms and their chests and their necks and begin to choke them. And Hermione quickly realizes what's going on and says, stop moving, both of you. This is devil's snare. You have to relax. If you don't, it will only kill you faster. And Ron, of course, appreciates that a whole lot. Kill us faster? Oh, now I can relax. But Hermione takes a deep breath, relaxes, and then she drops underneath the plant and out of view. Now Ron starts to really freak out. Now what are we going to do? And Hermione's voice is heard from a distance saying, just relax. And Harry's trying to figure out, Hermione, where are you? Hermione's, do what I say, trust me. And so Harry finally relaxes and he drops through as well. But Ron can't seem to relax He can't seem to trust what she says. He can't trust what is true. Instead, he continues to struggle and to fight and continues to get choked more and more and more until they eventually just have to save him. In the dark valley, contentment is about learning to surrender control. No longer fighting and grasping for control over what we want for our lives holding on to that, instead releasing, releasing the control to the one who loves you enough to bring you into the dark valley, to free you from those attachments and things that you are putting your worth and value in, those, the sin that so easily ensnares us. The one who loves us enough to meet us there in the dark, to get us unstuck with the incredible secret incredible secret that we can learn to be content in any and every situation because of Christ who gives you strength. And I love that we're we're celebrating communion as we're thinking about this theme. Because communion is this beautiful meal, and on every journey, even through the darkest of valleys, we have to eat to be sustained. Because the, the valley can last for days or weeks or months or years. And when we come to this table, we're come to, we come to be fed on the truth, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And the symbols of this table remind us that it is only what he has done for us that can satisfy the deepest needs of our heart, of our soul. And it is only because of what he's done for us that we can have hope even in the dark. And you might be in the dark valley right now. You may be doubting God's love and his presence in your life. Allow the symbols of this table to feed you with what is true. That there is hope beyond what you can see. That you can be content in all things because of Christ, who was forsaken for you and who gives you strength. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is so much easier to, to say and think about in theory than it is to live through. Where We don't want to downplay the enormity of the dark valley because it really is that. But instead, we want to lift up the reality of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ, the truth that you are for us, that you love us. Lord, will you remind us of that? Will you teach us to be content in all things as we lean more and more on Christ who gives us strength?